Welcome to the Aravinda Show. For this episode, I had the honor to interview independent author Michael Corlin, author of over a dozen novels and shorter works, spanning from apocalyptic to supernatural to steampunk and beyond. He describes himself as a teller of strange stories for stranger people, and I think you'll love this glimpse into his brain. We had a blast here, covering the benefits of synesthesia, the inspiration of Taoism and divination, the terrors of sleep paralysis, and a grand unification theory of art itself, and of course, when and where the story really happens. Enjoy. I want this to be a different kind of interview show, Mike. Right. I want it, I don't want it, because I feel, I mean, I've listened to a lot of shows. I, I don't know if you've heard The Pipeline, or um, you've obviously heard Rocking Self-Publishing, which is an excellent show. I can, yeah. I, I can only hope to be as good at that, as, as that show. They're, they really, Simon really knocks it out of the park. He's a he's a great guy with that. He's, it's, he's it's good stuff. He's an absolute pro. He's an absolute mm-hmm. pro. And I, I loved, I mean, I love, I, you know, like hearing from like people like A.J. Riddle and people yeah, like, yeah. you know, just like people that I'm, did he ever have Ernest Klein on there? I know he's not independent, but I like him. There, there have been over a hundred episodes, I think, at this point. I don't, I don't know who's, uh, who he's had. I don't remember exactly. Uh, I don't think so, but uh, yeah, he he wrote Ready Player One, which I really, really enjoyed. Right, right, yeah. I read, I listened to the audiobook for that recently. Oh, really? How was that? Yeah, it was good. Uh, Will Wheaton does the narration. <gasps> it's, it's great. Yeah, I have to get it's, that. Yeah, perfect, perfect person to be narrating it. <laughs> he's one of our. Uh... One of our uh, geek nerd leaders. So yeah, exactly. It's perfect. it's perfect. He occupies one of those positions in pop culture that's just immortal now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I watched Stand by Me for the first time yeah. a few years last night, yeah. and I can't oh, yeah? believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I can't believe um, everybody in that movie. Almost everybody in that movie went on to have like huge careers. Right. It's one of those things, and, and you they're know, all very little. They're all, like so tiny. They're all, like the and it's stuff. it's like the least Stephen King movie. You it know, is. He wrote it. Yeah, and it, it's like look at the other movies he was doing at the time, and it's like wow. Carrie, the you know, Shining. Carrie, the Shining. Well, the Shining was also good, uh, but the his other early films, other than like Stand by Me, Shawshank, and The Shining, Shining are the only Stephen King movies that I ever really, really liked. The rest of them were like, uh, you could have done better. Yeah, because as as people who who are storytellers, we are often more critical about the way a story is put together than say the average person. Right. I, uh, I noticed that, uh, first when I was, uh, probably in, in college, uh, I was going, uh, originally w- with a, a, an eye towards film. Okay. And after taking a few film classes, I could no longer just watch movies. You know, <laughs> you, it's a different, you change when you learn about the way something is made and you can't just, you know, turn that off so easily. Uh, yeah. You have to you, you understand the elements on an individual level. So when you get around to watching it, you can kind of see what they're doing. You know, it's it's like the Matrix vision. You mm-hmm. know that Neo had. You you see all the little zeros and ones that go into constructing something. So <laughs> you're you literally know. looking at the <clears throat> the machine code of yeah. the artistic message. You see you're, the elements. You the see the mythic. design. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's true. Here you go. I am going for more of a live-to-tape kind of feel because I can certainly get extremely um, specific about editing 
and I'm trying yeah. to back away from that because I don't want I don't want to lose spontaneity and I don't want to spend five hours editing either. No, I, I understand that entirely. Um, when I started doing that, which is known, I, I it was scripted. I, I just read off of a script in it, but it came out very, very sounding like I was reading, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I, I redid it and uh, re-uploaded a new version where it's just me talking. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a lot more ums and, and vocal pauses and everything, but I think it sounds a lot better that way. It sounds more organic. Um I mean, I'm still nailing down the format and mm-hmm. and everything. Um, see, I, I have no uh, vocal training whatsoever when it comes to either speaking or uh, or anything else. So I'm uh, not. Yes. Yeah, I'm not one of the performers in in the uh, audio dramas we'll be doing because I'm I'm not an actor. I can't do it. No, uh, I I think you could if you really if you wanted to you could. Well, if I, I mean, wanted you to, you have you have control of your of your voice. But if you're more, in, I mean, yeah, it's entirely possible that you're more interested in writing than performing, and that's completely. I mean, valid, I, I, valid I am, um, I am, and I'll be you know editing and producing it and everything. I just don't have the time to learn a new skill at the moment. You know, I'm yeah. I've got, I've got books to write. I've got uh, now I've got uh, audio dramas to write, and I've got <laughs> things to produce. And, you know, I, I always have so many projects going on at the same time and it's true you, know, you gotta double down and yeah you gotta double down on what you're good at you know exactly exactly so my goal for this show is to have to really create the only interview show that's focused on independent and small house authors and also creative people too that isn't formulaic that I don't have pre-written questions for right because I feel like I've listened to a lot of shows and they ask the same questions and they try to adapt it for the person. But I've noticed that like you said earlier, that you tend to be more interesting when you're not, when you don't know what's coming and when you're not reading from something. And I was interviewed for the first time in a while, um, for a podcast called, um, better know a jackal last week, which is kind of a long story, but Basically, uh, people that are fan. There's this podcast network called Five by Five, and people yeah, who are, I know Five by Five. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. So pe- yeah, people I've who are fans that. are called Jackals, and basically people yeah. who are really big. Yeah, you probably don't say they're they're referred to as Jackals. So I was invited on the show, and you know he he provides you know Mike, oh well, another another Mike. You're Michael. Mm-hmm. You seem like more of a Michael to me. Uh, that works for me. He's, you're Michael. He's a Mike, but. He provides the questions beforehand and me always endeavoring to do my homework filled them out with input a lot of thought. And as I was going, I don't know if this has ever happened to you um, in an in a interview writ large, but I realized I was kind of robbing it of its aliveness because I was like yeah. trying to read it, but also trying to. Uh, you know, put my personality into it, and I it was it was a strange thing. So after a couple questions, I just hid the window and like this is ridiculous. I'm just gonna you know I already know what I'm gonna say. Maybe the premeditating helped, but uh, you're absolutely right. What you said earlier was it's basically like you 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 don't want to you don't want to read off of something. Right, kills it. Yeah, I think that that um, just more of an off the cuff extemporaneous uh speaking is, is better for this this media you mm-hmm. know it, it's it's uh, it's more natural and i think people respond differently to 
um, people when they're just speaking off of the top of their heads than when they're obviously rehearsed or reading from something. I'm actually uh, curious about your own podcast setup because you yourself have um, That Which Is Known, which is a very right. newer podcast that I've been listening to. And you asked me earlier, you know, what I thought. And uh, I really like the subject matter. The only thing that kind of threw me off was, and I also like the the short. I think they're all under 10 minutes each episode. They're so all five, Yeah, they're, they're like five minutes long each. Yeah. Five, six minutes. And which is a good, which is a good length for, for I would say for for really getting more comfortable and starting out. Um, what, what was your thinking behind that? Well, I was listening to um, the podcast method, which is one of those uh, five by show. five. Yeah, it's it's great. Um, and I don't remember if it was the podcast method or if it was uh, Audacity to podcast. It was some podcast about podcasting. And they, <laughs> it's very meta. <laughs> it is very meta. It's a podcast and, talking about a podcast that talks about podcasts. That, that's what we're on right now. Exactly. Continue. Um, and the, the subject came up of, of podcast length and there's, you know, uh, as far as what is, um, what is viable for people when they're out listening on their commutes or everything. Um, there's this desert between like a five minute short podcast, like what I do. Yep. And then a 30-minute podcast where the length in between those isn't quite as useful to people because they're either, uh, you know, originally I was going to go with like a 10, 15-minute, um, but mm-hmm. then I, I heard something that uh, that length is actually a little less uh Less effective. favorable. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I decided to, uh, you know, I'm like, well, I can either make try to add another 10 minutes, 20 minutes, or I can cut it down to five and... Uh, I figured that I could cover subjects uh, in more detail on later episodes uh, if I cut it down to five minutes. So I spent five minutes talking about one subject, and then later on I'll get around to talking about you know, a, a more in-depth aspect of that subject uh, on another podcast for five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I see that you, you've actually released one today, uh, 007, Detective Fiction. And it's just a hair under six minutes. And it, it's the kind of thing that if you can talk about that subject with clarity and lucidity, which you do, you can completely give a feeling for and, and give people a primer on something in that amount of time. When I mean, there was a time when I actually took a, a short film class and they made the point of saying, you can actually tell an entire story in film an entire story with, you know, beginning, middle, and end in seven minutes. And when I heard that, I was kind of amazed. Like, wow, that's, that's not a lot of time. And then they proceeded to show us all these examples that felt a lot longer than seven minutes. So there's definitely a, a psychological component to that. Where Yeah, and you see that in flash fiction as well. People post 200, 300-word stories, and they're complete stories. Um, mm. and, and there's even, you know, I've seen Twitter stories, you know, 140 characters or less and it's an entire, <laughs> you know, well, you know, that's, that's the strength of fiction as a medium is that you can imply so much. You don't have to show everything. You don't have to tell everything. Mm-hmm. You can leave the window open at the end for people to draw their own conclusions. Mm. And I think as authors, um, being able to say something without having to say it is one of the most valuable skills you can pick up. I, I remember when it became clear to me how important it was about what you don't say. 
Yeah. Versus what you actually say. And when I started really thinking about that, it's it gives you this ability to to create so much depth. It's like an optical illusion almost. Because the brain wants to fill in those gaps. The brain is constantly trying to look for patterns and and make sense out of limited information. And if you give it the right hints, it'll actually fill in the patterns sometimes in a better way than you could even describe. Well, that's, you know, this, this sort of ties back to the earlier thing you were saying about, you know, not getting when you're a kid that not everybody writes. Um, yeah. A statement like that, it's about what you don't say. It sounds like the most artsy-fartsy thing in the world. You know, it sounds like just one of those those things that people say when they try to parody uh, artists and, and, you know, the, the elite. But it's it's one of those things that makes sense when you understand it, but makes zero sense when you don't. Um, yeah. You, know, you, you can tie that yeah. to any any yeah. art, any, any uh, you can tie that to any art, um, like jazz, for example, extemporaneous jazz. It's very much about the notes that you're not playing. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's, you know, painting and every, every, you're, you're suggesting a form, you're su mm. suggesting something to people, but they have to do the work of putting it together themselves. Mm. Um, and I think that makes it more real for them when their brains are the ones that are adding the, the details that you're not giving to them. And I think that's why it's such a powerful uh, method in any art. Do you think that that's more challenging with film? I think it can be. Um, because in film, I mean, well, on, on the level of story, no, it isn't. On the level of story, you can imply things just as you can imply, imply things anywhere. Yeah. But it, when it comes to cinematography or what you're you're actually showing, uh, there's nothing the audience sees that the camera isn't showing them. You you are their eyes. You it, you have more control over over the audience. Um, less so in fiction. In fiction, the audience is free to you know you can give them more sensual sensory input. But at the same time, you don't tell them all of the details. You know, in a given scene, you can throw in like three details and their minds will fill in the rest. But in film, what they see is all there is to see. You know, it's, there's nothing else. You're not leaving anything out visually in film. Um, I think uh, audio drama will be interesting because you're not seeing anything. You just suggest what's there through sound. And I think that'll be a very... Um, a very p strong potential for, um, you know, and that, that's where the, the synesthesia theater comes in, the name um, synesthesia. We're, we're giving you <laughs> audi audio input and you're going to be translating that into visual imagery on your own. I was going to ask you where that name came from because that, that's, a, that's a medical condition, isn't it? Where yeah. They, they feel these, they feel a sound can be interpreted as a, as a as vision. A color or whatever. Yeah, right, yeah. 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 It's, or uh, vice versa. <laughs> yeah, synesthesia is basically a a um, condition where your your senses aren't interpreted the same way. Um, you might interpret like a given name and associate a, a certain flavor with it, for example. Um, and it's it's you know if you don't have it, it how do you describe that? You know, um, it's uh, it's it's just it's a very different way. Yeah, but. Yeah, um, yeah. For our purposes, yeah, it's it's interpreting the the sound that we give you as um, you know as visual or mm -hmm. all the other senses as well, um, because again, I, I come from a, a background of working on film and working in in prose, and those are very different. You know, film is very very visual, mm -hmm. um, and prose literature is all about what's going on inside the person, 
um, more more than anything else, and that's a, the strength of that. Um, but audio, you have no, you don't get an insight into them unless you use some sort of uh, internal monologue device, which I'd like to avoid. Um, yeah, and it, I could I could see that being very kludgy. That's a completely yeah. completely different animal to do to do mm-hmm. audio. Yeah, exactly. So it's 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 translating what I already know into a new format. But you know, I've I've had so many different projects and so many different artistic fields that you start to kind of get almost like a grand unification theory of art <laughs> after a while. You know, that's your, your beautiful, brain, Michael. That's right? beautiful. No, it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of God. I, it reminds me of people who know multiple computer programming languages. Right. You know, and I could say. Uh, I, I don't really know a program. I, I don't count HTML, CSS. I know a little bit of PHP, just enough to be dangerous. But, <laughs> but you know, I know these people who know C and Java and Python and Perl and all these different things. And they tell you, once you know one or two languages, it makes it so much faster to learn any other language. Like Apple did this new language called Swift, which is sweeping the mm-hmm. the coding community or so I've heard and people are lear- picking up this new language really fast because it has so much in common with you know C++ and and other languages and I and I I, I almost get a little bit jealous because I I want to know what that's like but like you I don't feel like I can justify you know totally branching off into getting into coding when I'm so far down this path of fiction and people right. have expressed very positive things about what I'm producing, it's there's that funny conflict in my head, uh, which it sounds like you're you experienced too, where you're like, well, yeah. this is interesting, but I kind of want to double down on this thing. And well, you know what it is is that storytelling is storytelling, and there are certain elements that are universal. Whatever means you're using to tell the story, um, whether you're writing it down, whether you're acting it out, whether you're singing it, whether you're you're performing some sort of audio play. You know, whether you're painting a picture, you're telling a story. There is a beginning, there is a middle, and an end. Even yeah, if you don't yeah. show all those parts, um, and the more the more storytelling you do, and the more different ways you tell those stories, the better you get at all of them. It's it's syncretic, and that's the way the brain learns. Your your <laughs> your mind is constantly drawing these connections between you, the different disciplines you have mastered, and looking for ways to to understand it all. I mean, that's basically what the brain is. It's a it's a great a uh, computer that that learning machine sorts right? yeah it, it sorts and yeah. it categorizes and it draws connections which i mean that's that's <laughs> intelligence right there uh intelligence to me is the ability to draw these connections through seemingly unrelated bits of information so you you would say that intelligence is synthesis yes i i would say that intelligence is art and art is the synthesis of meaning hmm. from uh from stimuli uh, but that, again, that's I have a background in the arts, so I talk all artsy fartsy <laughs> like that all the time. You well, know? you know what? You're on the right show. <laughs> You're on the right show, Michael. Um, now, did you say intelligence is art? Intelligence is art. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? That that doesn't entirely uh, mess well, with my brain. I'm, I'm curious what you mean by well, that. Well, you know. Uh, Not that I expect everything you say to mesh with my brain, but <laughs> well, I don't know, you know if I, I completely understand what you mean. If I were you, I wouldn't expect everything I say to make sense. No, I don't. Um, but I don't. In, in this we're case, we're both we're both um, creative people. Well, exactly. It's, it's amazing. We, we ramble. Yeah, it's amazing. But in that this it's case, even um, and I just realized that now I was talking to you on this podcast. Oh, I love that. Art is is deriving meaning from synthesis. The synthesis of of whatever ideas you're bringing together. You know, you see 
a painting. And, you know, when you create art, art is actually not created when you when you make the painting or write the story. It's created when the person sees it and interprets it and draws connections to their own existence, their own experience, their own life. So what an artist does is they act as a catalyst for other people to uh, draw meaning from whatever work they're creating, right? Uh-huh. So intelligence is basically the same thing. Intelligence is the other side of that equation. It's the ability to make these connections between, you know, everything else you've experienced in your life. Uh, mm. You know, if, if you see something when you're a child and you're able to somehow tie that into something when, you, when you're an adult, your brain has done that in the background without you even being aware of it mm. at the time. Mm. And so the... The intelligence is integral to the creation of art because without intelligence, there would be no art. There would be no interpretation. There would be, be no, no audience. There would be no synthesis. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a very. That's a very. Um, I haven't heard that kind of description of that before. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. That's a di- very different way of thinking about it, and mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this. To do this show, is I want to hear. I really. I'm very interested in. Um, and I think other people are as well, the beliefs and the attitudes that artists go in and, and authors are artists. We don't really think about it in that way. But when I think of the word artist, that's a big umbrella term that goes every, that goes everywhere from a poet to someone writing Tom Clancy novels to believe it or not, to, um, (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, that Tom Clancy very... writes writes most of the Tom Clancy novels, from what I understand. I thought he died. Uh, well, I don't know. I, well, if, he, if it wasn't him, then I don't know who is writing the Tom Clancy novels. A lot um, of other yeah, people named know, Tom. Uh, you have to be named yeah, Tom exactly. to ghostwrite for or that. Or Clancy. You can be Clancy. You could be too, Clancy. There's a lot of Clancy's. There's probably yeah. a lot of like Doberman Shepherds. Yeah. Named Clancy. But no, it could be a lot of things. It could be so many things. You know, you could be oh, like a, he, dancers, uh, architects, dancers. Uh, uh, really? Well, yeah. Design, design of any yeah. kind. Can any kind of design, overlap. Right? I, and I feel like I feel like um, being having a design background helped me with my descriptions. Oh, absolutely. yeah. And you yeah. can and I always wonder, like, how much people read into my work about like this guy like cares a little bit too much about color. He needs to calm down, but you know I, I am passionate about color. But, it, it, but artist is such a such a broad term. Mm-hmm. Authors fall under that as well, and well, I think we need to keep s- that in mind. You know, almost anyone can fall under the term of artist. I think uh, depending on the attitude you bring to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be an accountant and feel that the 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 math you use is just i don't really know what accountants do but i'm assuming it has something to do with math well it involves spreadsheets uh, and um yeah. deductions well, you no know, i love i love spreadsheets i mean that's just my really thing. yeah i actually i, make I find that surprising actually i make uh, i make spreadsheets for everything i use spreadsheets while i'm writing it's how i outline and plan my work i'm, I'm very structural when mm-hmm. i write mm-hmm. um i like to have everything planned out like the bulk of my creative writing uh, actually occurs during the outlining phase. I'll, I'll go down to the scene level and decide what happens scene by scene. And then the actual act of writing, I know it's going to happen. You already have your map. I already have my map so mm-hmm. that I ne- I'm never stuck. I just mm-hmm. keep going and just keep going and keep going. And, and that's, uh, I, I find that it's best for my productivity that way, you know? Um, I, I don't know if that means we have similar like brains, but that's actually exactly how I, yeah. do things as well. I, I can't, I cannot fathom a, 
uh, let's say I can't fathom anything longer than like a thousand words without, I think my brain thinks in 2000 word chunks. That's usually how long mm-hmm. my chapters are. Um, but I have to outline that and it's, and you ever hit, you ever hit up writer's block in the middle of an outline? That's the only place it comes up, you know, uh, is, is when I'm outlining because I don't know what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And then I'll, uh, and, and that's why I do the research because the research, uh, shakes something loose in my brain. Um, mm. the best for me though, is when I'm, uh, if I go out walking, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, then you have the uh, the uh, the we exercise. Could, we could do a prom- whole show on that, Mike. Well, exactly, right, right. <laughs> uh, no. You got to get out, get fresh air when you're stuck, even like five minutes. The yeah, brainstorming is easiest to do when you can't write it down, mm-hmm. you know, because then you're not splitting your attention between the uh, the mechanical act of typing and and just being in your head. And when you can do something repetitive that doesn't require thought, like you know, mowing the lawn or taking a walk or whatever else it is you're doing that you can mm-hmm. turn your brain entirely to the problem of your writing. And then you don't consciously do it. It's just your brain drifts along these channels. And, you know, usually when you, when you can't actually write down what you've made up and then you have to try to remember until you get home. Does that happen to you? Do you get frustrated? Oh, I don't get frustrated at it because, you know, I mean, I, for a while I was frustrated that I would never get around to using all of the ideas I've had. You know, I, I have a notebook of ideas and mm-hmm. a lot of writers do, mm-hmm. but I was like, I was like calculating to. this and I'm like, man, if I, it'll take me 50 years just to work through the ideas I already have. <laughs> and I got very depressed for a while because it's like, oh, I'm going to die before I finish these. That's terrible. But then I realized, wow. you know, I'm going to be better at having ideas later on too. Mm-hmm. So the ideas I haven't had yet will be better than the ideas that I already do have. So it's not really a big loss. Bingo. Bingo. Did, it sounds like you'd almost developed, um, almost an emotional attachment to, I mean, which I completely, re- I can completely relate to that going like, Oh damn. Like I've got like a h- hundreds of ideas here or however many you have. And you're like, there's no, it's, it's like going to, it's like going to the library of Congress. Yeah, and realizing yeah. like, well, I'm gonna read less than one percent of these, <laughs> and, and, and that's that's if uh, probably less than a hundredth of a percent of these, and that's if I read constantly. Well, it's it's this scarcity illusion, you know. Yeah. The idea that you don't, that you have to get them all done, and you don't. It's okay. No. And also, you can let the the best rise to the top too in that yeah, situation. Yeah. Right. You know, and that's when um, several authors have have passed on recently. Um, that, that I was I was fond of, mm. um, and you know actors and and uh, Leonard Nimoy just just passed on. Yeah, Leonard Nimoy, <clears throat> and he what was a great artist. Uh, right, he was he was one of my my favorites uh, growing up. But then you know I realized that if if I could choose a legacy, I want people to be saying when I die, oh man, all the books that he'll never get to writing. You know, I want that to be my epitaph. I want that mm. to to be my legacy. Is that people will lament what I haven't finished. Like when I was, when I was younger, one of my favorite authors was uh, Ray Bradbury. Yeah. And then he, you know, I, 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 I never got to meet him and that's one yeah. thing I'll regret. I, um, I met uh, Ben Bova at a uh, Worldcon. Oh, nice. Actually. Well, I didn't meet him so much as I stood next to him at line in the dealer room, but I count it, you know, did you, did you get to uh, speak to him at all? Well, I spoke to his handler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you, the you person get... walking him around the con. But it, it was cool. 
You try to get um, to his, his attention like in a wave. <laughs> hey, I'm a fan. Yeah. I recognize you. I mean, that's something that's a little bit different about about being being an author is you people you're much less likely to get recognized. It's not like you're. I mean, even if you're, you know, how many? I bet you there are plenty of people who love Orson Scott Card and might not know what he looks like. I wouldn't recognize him. If yeah. I saw him, you know, like I, I saw a guy at a at a science fiction convention that I thought might have been Gene Wolfe, but I didn't know for sure. <laughs> and I actually followed him for a while trying to figure out if it was him. I'm like, is that Gene Wolfe? But then I felt creepy, so I stopped. Good for you. Good for <laughs> I took, you, Mike. I took the high road and stopped following the old oh, man. Oh, God. I want to talk about that, but we probably shouldn't talk about it. Right. I, You know, no, the whole concept of like you respect somebody – and maybe you want to go to the snack bar too. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, because yeah. we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a weird, you know, and I, I don't think there's any problem with deciding to go to the snack bar and letting, you know. Well, how would you feel if you were at the snack bar and someone came up and? Are they ordering anything? No, they're just staring at you. Yeah. So you got to order Watching something. what you're ordering. I think you got to yeah. order something. And then you, you have just to have say, a cover. You got to have a cover. It's, you know, we're not there yet as a society. <laughs> say, know. you like Jell-O, huh? I like Jell-O too. <laughs> <laughs> what, or whatever you're... you're you know, they say is. people like Jell-O are 50% more likely to write about XYZ. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Walking, talking, talking. You ever... Um, you want the weirdest question of the interview that just occurred to me? Go for it. You ever talk to trees? Uh, do I talk to trees? You, or, or if you don't want to like admit anything, yes or no about that, we can go on to. No, I'm, I, it's very possible that I have. I'm just trying to remember. Okay. Um, I've talked to trees. And I'm curious how many other people do this. It, it seems like it. some people do, some people don't. Um, I feel like trees... I mean, I... You know, I have, I have my own beliefs. I don't push them on people, but I feel like no, everything everything that's alive has something like an an energetic an energetic body to it. And I don't know if trees can understand me. I've listened to trees. I will say that. Oh, I've tell listened. me about that. Well, I'm um, <clears throat> I'm a Taoist first of all. Oh, excellent. So, yes, T- Tibetan um, or uh, no, just sort of a. Uh, I've read the the. Tao Te Ching, and I've read the uh, a lot of the other the other books, and I've studied it for years, and I find that it most closely approximates what I believe. And I came to it hmm. through uh, Buddhism, which I came to through the martial arts and uh, and, oh. and uh, broad, broader paganism and, and and everything else. But um, I mean, like technically, Taoism is only one facet of what I believe. I'm mm-hmm. uh, I, I, again, I have a very syncretic sort of belief system. Um, can you define that, that? Are you are you saying Socratic? Syncretic. Okay. S y n s y n c r e. Can you define that for the kids at home? Uh, it, it's basically the combination of a lot of different things coming together into some sort of goulash in my head. That's basically it. Like huh. Synthesis. Uh, it comes from. Let me look up the official. It's from Greek. Yes. Synkretimos. Uh, yep. Syncretismos. Uh, syn- uh, syncretism. Unite is... against the third party. 
according to the dictionary, it's the attempted reconciliation or union of different or opposing principles, practices, or parties, in, as in philosophy or religion. So it's basically you synthesize together. Things. Yes, I think, and hmm. again, that's that's the whole art thing. That's hmm. why I believe intelligence is art. I believe that all of living can be or can be connected to art in some way or another. Beautiful. And um, I don't remember why we're talking about this. What was the topic? Oh yeah, trees. That, that means it's Listing a good show, trees. Mike. It means it's a good show. <laughs> well, um, as as far as list, I don't I don't talk to trees, but I do listen to them because one of the um, elements of of Taoism is that you can sort of find this this uh harmony through meditation where you can hear the way the world is flowing mm. through through uh interaction with nature more or less hmm. so if you go to the park and you just sit there in the park and you're quiet and you quiet down the the babbling in your own head and you listen to what uh your sensory input tells you so you, you turn inward and and quiet that down then you turn outward and sort of take that in and uh, you can find inspiration that way. So would, would you call that a sort of walking meditation? Yes, creative quietude. Ah. Have you ever done any other forms of meditation? Oh, like, yeah. Like uh, Anapana yeah. or Vipassana? Um, I've actually, uh, on a side note, I'm actually currently researching prana for the book I'm writing. Ah. Um, I'm doing something um, with... Uh, well, I, I don't want to spoilery, but uh, oh, no spoilers, yeah, no I've actually <laughs> I've actually taken um, I've I've practiced yoga and I've practiced tai chi and uh, various martial arts and I've viewed that as sort of a moving meditation. Um, mm. oh, it absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. What did the trees? What do you feel? They're there. Are they a reflection of what's going on inside of you, or do they tell you? Um, uh, did they tell you something about? the place that you're in well it, it tells me about um myself to a certain degree um mm -hmm. the way the way i feel about the way i feel about it is the same way i feel about divination right mm. it's it's sort of a which you've uh, had a podcast about which is very yes, interesting to me <laughs> <laughs> well i've 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 practiced a lot of uh different forms of divination um you know uh tarot cards uh eching um mm -hmm. and basically what it all boils down to is giving your subconscious mind means to speak to you through your interpretations of what you see, uh, right? That so was going to be my next question is where do you think the information is coming from? It's, you know, where, where isn't necessarily as important, but what I believe is that it comes from um, e either the, the subconscious mind directly or more of a Jungian collective unconscious mm -hmm. uh, subconscious. The dream um, of the planet. The dream of the planet, exactly. <laughs> so you're, you're, what you're seeing is, you know, when, when you have a problem or when you're working on a book or when you're doing anything, your conscious mind is working on it, but your subconscious mind is also working on it in the back burner constantly. And it, this yep. is, it expands into all of the sensory input that passes, that goes right by your, your filters, the filters of your, your conscious mind. Uh, your subconscious collects a lot more than you do. So you have these feelings when you have a gut instinct, that's just your, your subconscious having worked on a problem, figured something out that you may not be consciously aware of yet. Um, so when you have a bad feeling about somebody, you've picked up on a thousand tiny little cues that you're not really aware of, but you're still getting the, the uh, synthetic or the synthesis of all of that data passed to you through your subconscious uh, 
feelings. And divination works the same way. Uh, when you see a tarot card, for example, uh, or if you're looking at uh, an I Ching reading or whatever mm-hmm. means to you, I mean, th- these means of divination just give you a context. Mm. They give you, um, you know, they give you patterns. I mean, that's the other thing that intelligence is, is it's looking for meaning and meanings and patterns, yeah. right? Yep. So it gives you the opportunity to look at patterns and then come up with inspiration where the inspiration is nothing more than just your subconscious mind saying, hey, this is something you should know. Or, hey, have you thought about this? Uh, and it's the same thing with the trees or the, the trees or, or communing with nature or whatever, anything else, any form of meditation all of this information is bubbling up to you and your subconscious mind gets it to your conscious mind through the interpretation of these, you know, whatever you want to call them, signs or omens or just insight. Uh, gnosis, if you want to call it gnosis. Hmm. Hmm. That is probably the most lucid description of divination that I've ever heard. <laughs> that was that was excellent. Thank you. And and, and it, there, is that, there is that relationship with reading someone and reading mm-hmm. the signs of the thing that you're divining. And I never really made that connection before. Well, see there. there. Now you know, knowing is half the battle. Yeah, G.I. Joe. Um, I like the holistic uh, turn <laughs> that this show yeah. has taken. Bec- I felt like you were reading from my, my handbook for a second there, of, of for, for longer than a second, actually, just the, the idea that especially what you said about the unconscious mind, like it is always cranking away on that. And I feel like some people use that consciously, use their unconscious mind consciously, and some people don't. And You can tap into it. You know, you can learn to tap into it. That's a skill like anything else, you know. Well, Uh, well, uh, how do you do that? Well, I mean, well, divination is one example of of a method you can use, but you can also use it as an artist. Um, where do you get your ideas from? Well, that's where they come from. The classic know? question. All of all of the stuff that you encounter, everything that you that you read, everything you, that you watch, everything that you have personally experienced, it all gets, you know, the, the brain is like this rock tumbler, and it, it move, <laughs> everything is is shattered around, but they also combine and and separate and are broken down into the component forms, and then eventually, you know. Your your subconscious mind will throw your conscious mind a bone, and you'll have this idea. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll have you'll have inspiration. You'll you know, and, and again, it's it's like the uh, the Greek term gnosis, which is uh, knowledge from the divine, mm-hmm. and that's you know, it, it just comes to you. But really, it's not just coming to you. It's not just sudden inspiration from nowhere. It's something that your brain has been working very hard on for a very long time, and it's it, it seems effortless because you're unaware of the effort that you go through. And I think that's, <laughs> I, I think that that's one of the, the aspects of creative people is that they're just more open to the influence from their subconscious. I would completely agree with that. What do you think uh, nudges someone to be more open? Is that something that, is that a nature versus nurture question? Is that something that, you know, people are predisposed, some people are predisposed to do, or is that something that they have to consciously develop? Because I do feel like there are, for better or for worse, there are people who are predisposed to, to you know, go, going back to the joke, like writing is a medical condition, <laughs> which isn't entirely a joke and not entirely a bad condition. <laughs> you know, synesthesia well, I, is also a medical condition and not, not always a bad thing. Well, I think it's... um. 
I, I think there is some predisposition towards it. Uh, you know, just like there's a predisposition towards open-mindedness, you know, and, and uh, open-heartedness. And it's the mm -hmm. same sort of thing. You can learn it later. I mean, you can learn. The more you do it, the more you form these neural connections, the, more, the stronger they get. You know, that's, that's the way your, your brain's neurology work works. <clears throat> yeah. The, yeah. You, you train your brain to perform certain tasks and it becomes stronger at those tasks. I mean, that's like uh, evolution on a personal immediate level. You, your structure, the structure of your brain will actually change to accommodate what you do often. This is why, um, for example, if you play a video game for like 10 hours, your brain will have restructured itself. So you'll start to think in terms of that video game for the next 10 hours or so. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced that personally, but no, uh, <laughs> no, I've I've never looked out in the skyline and wondered how what the resolution of that bitmap is. It's never yeah, you know, to it's, it's it's it's, and this is just for any given task. It's just easiest to um, to notice for me. Um, for example, when I was uh, in my twenties, I I played a lot of the uh, the skateboarding video games, the Tony Hawk video games, mm -hmm. and then I would you know I'd be out later and I'd be like looking at. At the landscape, wondering how I could trick off of the different features. And that's just because your brain is still wired to work that way. Yeah. Your brain is, I mean, you have this certain degree of neuroplasticity mm. where your brain can rewire itself and how efficiently your brain rewires itself and how quickly. And some people, I think, just have a natural predisposition to rewire themselves quickly and, and more, you know, efficiently. Um, and the more you do it, the better you get at doing it. So it's, that's basically it. Just the way to come up with good ideas is to come up with ideas. You know, and, and don't reject them. Don't think, oh, well, that's a dumb idea. I'm not going to do anything with it. Explore it, extrapolate from it, see what kind of, you know, treasure you can find buried inside of it. Mm -hmm. Just be open, just be open to your, you know, to the, uh, mm -hmm. to what your, your brain is trying to tell you. Mm -hmm. And at least write it down. I mean, yeah, I, write I, it I, down to put it in a word, you know, have a, have a word processing document. I sound like I'm from the nineties, a word processing document. <laughs> Put it in your put it in your personal um, internet computer, in the cloud. Information superhighway. Put it in the cloud, and I hear people surfing. say that word and they don't even know what it means. But put it, put it in the internet cloud, and at least it's not going to be. I mean, text is almost nothing, and at least you can come back to yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, and you'll you'll regret it if you don't. I mean, and and you know you can get this inspiration from your dreams the same way. You know, that's that's I think a more direct path to the subconscious mm -hmm. is what you're dreaming about. Um, I'm glad you brought up dreams because I feel like we can really leverage our dreams if we know how to do it. Right. Um, I'm aware of one person who has actually had an unbroken dream log since, oh God, like 1994. Wow. Every single morning, the guy is so intense. And he actually, he believes that he gets, you know, prophetic things coming through and a lot of really profound things coming through and I, I don't, I don't get that intense with it, but I used to keep a, a log for, for many years and I need to, I need to start that up again. And I, I would, never, uh, I never managed for more than like a week before forgetting about it. It, you know, the trick, if you are interested in doing it, the trick mm -hmm. is to just have, have, have a pad that you were really comfortable with and just keep it next to your bed. And then when you wake up, you really only have to develop, you only have to do two steps in the morning, really just one, which is you ask yourself, where was I just now? Because if you've just woken up, you were somewhere. 
because we wake up, I would say 90% of the time, we wake up out of REM because REM is lighter than deep sleep. Right. And you were, like, your brain was doing something. You were visualizing something. You were somewhere. Um, even people say, I don't have any dreams. It's <laughs> not true. Sorry. Unless you're, unless you're not, I mean, you could be an android and not know it. But most likely, you have a human brain. And the way the human brain keeps itself sane is to process reality at night in dreams and cycle between these 90-minute cycles, you know, the whole time you're asleep. Although they do, I think they, they found they do change in duration now, but a little bit. But um, it's it's really important. You know, you, you meet these people who talk about, you know, when they have insomnia and they start visualizing things and they start seeing spiders in their shoes. And that really happens. <laughs> it really happens. Like if you. No, I know. I know. It's I, crazy. I, uh, <laughs> I, have, I have much experience with sleep deprivation. I am well aware. Have you ever seen spiders in your shoes? No, but I've seen spiders in your shoes. <gasps> That's way worse. <laughs> I know. Because how, I can't even, you're like all the way over on the other side of the world, man. How do I tell you? Mm. I didn't even know you at the time. That was the weird part. That was really weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah. I mean, like when I was in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Oh, like some dude in Hawaii has got spiders in his shoes. That's I a wonderful do something. Wonderful vision. Have you no, but but seriously, I I don't want to make this the sleep show, but um it, it does fascinate me intensely and I think it I think it interests you as well. Like have, have you have you had like actual waking hallucinations? Um well, you know, I've had um that you're willing that you're comfortable to talk about. <laughs> I've what what I've what I've had uh is I've I've suffered from uh uh, night hag syndrome. Actually. Night hag syndrome. Yeah, there's a lot of different terms for it. That's that's the one I use. Um, but it's basically, uh, you wake up but you're not really awake. <sighs> you know that thing. I've had that a couple times. Yeah, I, I've I've gone through periods of my life where it happened, you know, like every night for months, oh. and it's just terrible because you have this this growing sense of apprehension. That doesn't come from anywhere, really. It's just that you feel like you can't move. You can sort of look around a little bit, and it's 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 sleep paralysis, if you want to call it that. Oh, but, you're uh, talking about sleep paralysis. I yeah, thought you right, were right. talking about the thing where you get up and you get dressed and you take a shower and then you wake up, and that was a dream. No, no, that's that's just terrible that's that's, that's, that's that's the term i use for that is awful that's tiring yeah yeah no, I'm, I'm talking about when you wake up but you're not really awake and you can't move and you, you're just like stuck and you're trying to move and then eventually you do oh no yeah oh god yeah, yeah that that court that's uh you know according to hoyle sleep paralysis i've only had that once <clears throat> and uh, it happens i, I was convinced that something was going to get me because i i could only move my eyes what what i've heard uh some people describe it as if you've halfway slept out of your body like it's a failed astral projection um i believe it is yeah i, I had I totally see that. well i want to hear about i actually had that that, that experience which which we could go into uh, in which i basically that that was that experience convinced me that i had an energy body which led to me actually contemplating well what if other things have energy bodies what if because i had a mm-hmm. really wild experience um with sleep paralysis but um did i'm curious like he, what do you do you hear anything when that happens because i had a very strange relationship with sound the the one time that that happened to me the uh, the sound of the fan was actually changing uh, its frequency based on how awake i was getting 
that makes sense. It's. Uh, I was actually coming that, back up to beta frequencies yeah, in yeah. my brain. It was so trippy. <laughs> <laughs> so did you? Did, I mean, well, yeah. Tell me. Tell me about that. That stuff would happen every night. It would happen every night for you know a, a month or something like that. It was terrible. Um, and it would it would not just happen any night, but if like for example, I took a nap, I'd I'd wake up like on the couch and I'd be unable to move, and it would just be the worst Whoa. thing. It's, you know, I, I don't remember. It, it's been years since this has happened, but, um, I don't know. You know, it was just a real bad time. Did you ever successfully wake yourself up? Did you like push through? Well, I, since I'm not currently sleeping, clearly yes. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I mean like some, know, some people, <laughs> well, you know, no, I mean feels, like some people fall asleep again in that no, situation no, every, and then they wake up normally. Happened, every time it happened, I would just have to push through it until I woke up. Oh man. Or your more, more accurately, your body woke up. My body woke up. Yeah. Cause your brain was awake. It's almost like a meditative thing. Like your, your brain's awake, body sleep. Mm -hmm. Wow. Only, you know, it's not something you have control over. So it's just. Yeah, it's just it's terrifying. Frankly, it's it's the worst thing. It is terrifying. Did tell me about the first time that happened, if you can, if you if you if you if you'd like to. I was, uh, you know, a real little kid. I would have those. I would, I would just thought they were dreams, and they would, they would happen fairly often. Um, Do you I remember the very first time? No, I don't remember. I w I must have been like eight, maybe maybe mm. younger. Mm. You know, I'm I'm I don't remember. Hmm. Hmm. But you know, it, it's it'll go away for a few years, and then it'll come back for a month or so, and then it'll go away. And it's just, you know, it's been maybe five years since it's happened. So I'm hoping that I'm done with it. Do you have any? In, do you have any thoughts or intuitive guesses about like what what brings that on? Uh, stress, maybe. Yeah. Um, depression. I don't know. Yeah. Um, whatever whatever else is going on in, in your life uh for me that that's what it was i mean this was uh various low points in in my life uh struggling with you know poverty and, and homelessness and everything really were you uh were you actually homeless well homeless couch surfing homeless you know yeah um and in fact uh i that's what brought me to writing again um in uh, twenty, at the end of twenty eleven, uh, I was I was homeless and I was couch surfing and uh, I, I'd been freelancing before that, but all of the work basically dried up. Yeah. So, uh, the freelance copy yeah. writing or copywriting, editing, right? No. Copywriting, yeah. No. Um, and so I, I have, you know, I've been filling out applications with temp agencies, but nobody's getting back to me. Uh, the economy is just in shambles and. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, you know, going from trying trying not to wear out anyone's welcome. So I'm like going from couch <laughs> to couch among among my circle. You know, trying not to impose on anyone too much. And I start writing again. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I publish, and it takes off, and I'm able to, you know, by the end of the year, because I'm I'm still writing, uh, have a place to live. You know, I'm I'm wow. no longer homeless, and I'm I'm uh, making four figures a month. Um, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> really, really saved my life there. Was that with, um, and they called her spider. Mm hmm. That was the first book. Uh, wow. and then, uh, I, I 
wrote a few different things. Uh, I wrote uh, Oh Human Child, uh, which is uh, more of an urban fantasy kind of thing. And then I uh, wrote uh, some post-apocalyptic, depressing literary fiction that nobody buys. Um, <laughs> and, and then I you know, wrote more of the steampunk stuff, and that's what sells. So that's what I've been, been focusing on. Um, You've provided me a, a beautiful segue in a, in a place I wanted to go anyway. So thank you. Um, I'm curious. I mean, I'm curious about your your journey personally, going from going from basically well, yeah, zero zero in writing income for for a time to being able to do it full time. I mean, that's. Well, I mean, to be honest, Mike, yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not quite there to full time yet. Like I've got people have been really great people have left reviews for my work but i can't do it full time yet and it's it's probably related to the fact that i only have two things out right now i, I think volume is a big part of it yeah you know, but you i'd love to, to hear yeah i'd love to hear more about that all right well when i was a kid uh, i always wanted to be a writer you know i would um even in my teens i would buy the uh the writer's digest uh or the writer's world market handbooks um mm. I, I would write to different fiction markets and ask them for their submission guidelines and you know I, I would I would be constantly writing stories but I, I stopped at the point of actually submitting anything right. um, I just really never got around to it or I never was happy with anything that I wrote or whatever the reason was I never actually did it and then you know you grow up and you need a job and yep. you know the you you if you're not doing so well uh, it kind of grinds away at you a little bit you know, mm -hmm. uh, poverty has this way of sanding down all your most interesting corners to make you just this, this smooth and depressed. And you know, it, it's not a great, a great way to live. No, and I didn't have the. Uh, I, I kind of let it get away from me. Um, you your know, passion just, for writing? Not my passion for it, but the time for it. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I always, I, I, it got to the point where I didn't even have time to read anymore. I was just exhausted when I'd come home from whatever. You know, I, I had a lot of terrible jobs, um, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, telemarketing. Um, mm. I worked as a uh, janitor in a state mental hospital for a while. Wow. Um, yeah, that was third shift. Uh, and, and they made you uh, sign a waiver that if the inmates took you, that you would not be negotiated for. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> Slow that train down, Mike. Okay. This was, You're telling um, me that if you get kidnapped by by a prisoner, <laughs> hold on, does <laughs> that mean you can't press charges? You, well, you signed the waiver, man. I mean, what do you want? You signed away your, you know, yeah. it's just it's just an acknowledgement that, you know, basically, no, wow. basically you're signing something you, that acknowledges that if they can take the shot, they'll take the shot. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. Um, I and, and this was, uh, uh, I, it, it was really terrible because I was working up on the terminal ward, which was, you know, mostly patients with HIV or other diseases who are, are far gone and they will never leave this floor. You know, mm. they have dementia and everything. Mm -hmm. And there was this one um, old woman and I would have to go and clean her, her trash bags and she would always be like strapped to her, her gurney and she would always beg me to help her every time I came in to clean the trash. And it was just like the most horrible 
soul crushing thing in the world to, to wow. do. Um, and you know, when I'd be cleaning the offices, offices occasionally, like all the lights in the building would go out for a few seconds and it, um, and like, <laughs> there, 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 yeah, yeah. Any explanation why they would do that? I have no idea. Terrible Nobody wiring told. in that. Yeah. Building? Uh, maybe. Um, and there were tunnels that connected the building so we could get the, you know, the janitor carts from, from building to building on the campus. And they were like dated back to when the hospital had been a TB ward. So there are like these dirt tunnels that you're, you're wheeling your cart through. And there are these small wooden doors that used to be isolation cells set into each one. And it's just the creepiest thing in the world. This is in uh, America, yes. This is in America. This, yes, yes. Can it uh, in uh, in 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 by Chicago or? No, this was in Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Uh, yeah. yeah, I lived in uh, Pueblo, Colorado, for a while. Wow, um, that's incredible, Mike. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, it was like that kind of job, and I wasn't even like a full-time employee. I was, right. it was a temp, a temp job, so I wasn't even getting paid very well for it. Was this you know? when you were starting? This is before you. Began before your, I was, if I could yeah, say, this, Renaissance. Yeah, this was um, 2000, 2001, 2002, maybe. I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah, because I was living there when when nine eleven happened. So that's right. that's how I can date that. And everybody um, knows knows where they were. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was asleep because I was working third shift, and then you know I, I was like. I, I called the the store and I'm like, hey, where's my mattress? I ordered a mattress. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, because of the thing in New York. And I'm like, what thing in New York? And that's where I was when I found out about uh, – I found it from the mattress company. Huh. Um, but, yeah, that's um, – well, We're covering the gamut here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, great, I worked a whole bunch of <laughs> – this, this is a great show. I I'm, I must say it's I'm, – I'm really enjoying it, Mike. <laughs> Um, anyway, I, w- I was working a whole bunch of terrible jobs through my, my 20s and my early 30s, and I just, you know, just trying to get by. Um, and then I was in Chicago, and I was unemployed in twenty end of 2011, and I started writing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I started off with uh, writing short uh, 10, 20,000-word novelettes, mm-hmm. uh, steam- steampunk novelettes, and those were what took off. So I continued to write them, and I gradually wrote longer and longer work. Um, I started out with the the seven novelettes that uh, later I turned into the first two novels in the the series. Um, and then uh, from there, it just uh, it just had taken off well enough that um, you know I could afford to to live basically. Wow. Yeah. I bet your your friends were happy. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, my, everybody has been, you know, very supportive and, and whatnot, but, um, basically what I found is, is the key to success here is to, uh, publish a, a consistently high quality work at as great a frequency as you can manage. You know, and yeah. if I had a, if I had a backup job, I wouldn't have quit it, uh, to do this. Um, but I, didn't have that luxury I had all I had was time and I was able to make great use of that so I wrote mm. a lot quickly and I think that's why my income uh, increased to the level it did as quickly as it did mm. Um, mm. and really I don't really care that much about how much I'm making as long as it 
enables me to live the lifestyle I want. And for me, that lifestyle is writing. As long as I can afford to live and write, that's all I need. You're reading from my playbook, man. <laughs> You're reading from my playbook. It's, you know, it reminds me of this. Um, I, I used to, I used to make like r- little posters that had quotes on them that I really loved. And one of the, uh, one of the quotes that really hit me was something from Walt Disney. And he used to say, we, we don't make movies to make money. We make money to make more movies. Ah, that's a great one. And that hit me to such a way where I was like that he's, he's saying exactly what I'm thinking. Right. You know, you want to be able to, 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 I believe there are two great things in life that if you can, if you can get there, uh, you're going to be, you know, almost as happy as you could possibly be. And that is doing the work that you feel is fulfilling that actually provides value to the world, which is more challenging than it sounds sometimes (laughs) (laughs) because you have to find something that is valuable that people are willing to pay for that you can kick ass at. It's my show. That's my show. So I can say ass. And then, then you, then, then you have to deliver it. Right. So, and then the other great thing in life is, you know, having a partner that actually gets you and yeah. is a, is a, is a fulfilling relationship. And if you can get both of those things, like, you know, you're, you are very lucky, very lucky human being. So, uh, I've been very lucky on both, on both those counts. So I am, I'm counting my blessings. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm good on one of those. I'm still working on the, I'm still working on the, uh, writing full time thing, but, Hey, you know, if you have the support, then then you'll get there eventually. You can't not get there. You know, it's inevitable. You'll you'll do it. I really appreciate that, Mike. And I I'm I'm interested in you know how how often were you publishing? I mean, obviously your Amazon profile has release dates, but sometimes those get you know transmogrified if you release an audiobook later. And right, I've been right. different formats and. Well, when I started, I was uh, I actually made up a, a whole bunch of pen names um, because the prevailing really? wisdom, yeah, the prevailing wisdom at the time was that you wanted a different pen name for every genre you're writing in. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the under my own pen name, it's it's been the steampunk stuff. And I, I got to tell you that only that didn't last long because maintaining these other pen names is really tedious. It's a lot of work, um, and it's really. If I could change one thing about what I did, that would have been it. But you know, if you you write, um, and and I did bring some of that, the stuff from some of my other pen names into, under my own name, like the, uh, the grief, the the post apocalyptic uh, literary stuff was originally published under the name uh, Adrian Brennan. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like that name. Well, I've I've gotten rid of the pen name because I it's a good name, but I just I don't have the energy to maintain a second identity. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, even even just to the point of tweeting occasionally, um, it's it's just too much. Uh, I mean, I might go back to it eventually for you know the darker horror kind of stuff because it doesn't really mesh as well with what I with what I'm currently writing. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know that it's necessary. I haven't really decided how important that is. I mean, unless you're writing like. I wouldn't advocate using pen names unless you're writing something as different as like, you know, erotica and children's fiction where you don't want your identity connected to these things. Right. Um, 
you know, it, it's it's marketing though. That's that's the way I've I've heard it advocated as being able to keep the brands separate so you can target the marketing better. Um, we could do a whole show what, about brand, yeah. Well, it, it, exactly. So yeah. if I if I were to use pen names in the future, I would probably just like I'd write under Michael Corlum, Mike Corlum, M Corlum. Uh, MD Corlum, you know, and then just mm. Corlum, just different, mm. different spellings and, and interpretations of the same names so that I could still send them all to the same Twitter account, still only have the one web page and then just, it would still be eternally you know. cohesive, but it, it just in terms yeah. of separating on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've yeah, been thinking about that to, to, to do more, um, satire, really, really weird stuff that I've been thinking about doing and I don't know if I want it just just for you know crazy crazy fun but right 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 I don't know if I want that to be mixed in with the you know epic of Aravinda stuff yeah um, that'd be a very different kind of thing because you know but I, I'm lucky because the steampunk fiction it's it's mystery fiction so I could conceivably under the same brand include like mysteries and historical fiction and you know, science fiction and fantasy because they're all sort of related to a certain degree. But if I wanted to go like political satire or something like that, it wouldn't necessarily, the people who currently right. read my stuff wouldn't care, you know, and that's, you don't want to show fiction to your audience that they're not going to care about necessarily. Um, so, you, you know, but at the same time, you want to have like faith in your readers that, you know, they like more than one thing. <laughs> No, it's true. And and they're going to like one thing you wrote, so they probably like something else as well. But when you first came out with, and they called her Spider, that, that ended up being in Bartleby and James book one, right? Right. Yeah. I, that, that was actually my favorite um, story. And I liked the one with the airship as well. Yeah, they're, they're, right. it's, uh, it's, it's good stuff. It's been very popular. Um, and they called her Spider, actually, uh, put up on Wattpad as well. And that was uh, featured as a story on Wattpad. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that was nice. I've been thinking about trying the Wattpad out as well. It seems like a kind of a different kind of audience. It is. Uh, it's mostly younger people who don't buy books, so I don't know how... I mean, there hasn't been a lot of conversion for me from it. It's gotten tens of thousands of views and, and reads, and it has a very positive responses, but I actually don't think there's been very much conversion from... Wattpad to yeah. buying my books. Well, so have you seen any boost in sales since? I mean, no, yeah. not really. No. Um, what what helped my sales recently uh, was um, I was chosen by Apple for a a uh, first in series free promotion. Um, wow! Congrats. Yeah, that on that iBooks in January. Yeah, on iBooks, and and that helped a lot. I I, I had uh, three thousand downloads from Apple. Uh, that month, do they pay you for free down, or is it just more exposure and they get it, the second book exposure. and the third book? Yeah, um, I had a bunch of people sign up for my mailing list, and the sales on the uh, the omnibus and the uh, Ghosts of Shaolin have been great since then. So sales have been better uh, recently. Brilliant. So I'm I'm curious when you started. I mean, do you, do you have any, and not just for me, because this isn't this isn't really about me. This is about the people listening. Um, what would you get advice? Would you give to new authors who maybe have a couple things out there, but aren't to aren't able to make a living off of it yet? Maybe they just want to make you know, maybe they just want to make like so you know, partial you know, like five hundred a month or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, what advice would you give them? And I'm also curious, like how much. 
how often did you release and how how long were those works? Because I noticed yeah, a lot of your things are under 10,000 words and they get traction and it it tempts me because you're not the only person I've seen either who is adopting a serialized model and it tempts me to, to try that out. Well, short fiction is a much harder sell in, in the marketplace, even if you're selling anthologies. So the first piece yeah. of advice that I would give um, well, well, serials will work if you can do a serial consistently and you can do it frequently enough. Like, I would not try a serial for, um, I mean, if you're writing romance, you can do serials, no problem, it'll work. But if you're writing yeah. non-romance, um, and I, I, if I could write romance, I would because that's really where the money is, honestly. Yeah. Um, but it's not what I like. It's not what I read. And I really think that I'm a big proponent of, of writing what you read. So, and that translates directly into quality. Um, but what I would say, um, if you want to write a serial, uh, go for at least a monthly release, uh, any slower than that, and you will not get the audience. Um, maybe I would go so as, as, as far as to say one release every three weeks, if you can manage it. And this is, if, if you're not writing in romance, they have to be pretty long uh, to to really build an audience, at least fifteen thousand words minimum. Um, so if you can do that, and it, it's it's not that hard. I mean, I write about a thousand words an hour because again, I've done all the pre work already, and I'm just writing right right, right. through the You've hour. Got your that pause. Yeah, I've got my online, and yeah. the average is about a thousand words an hour. Um, and I write full time, so that's you know eight hours a day. So I write eight thousand dollars, eight thousand words a day. Um, and I try to write full time, you know, forty hours a week, forty thousand words a week. That's right? intense. A lot of people. It doesn't always do work that. out. That, well, <laughs> I, I I have a lot of other projects now, so yeah. it's it's I don't actually get that much done. Do you, but back do you then, actually try to? Have you actually done? I haven't. I've done. I think my personal record is cl- like fifty six hundred words in a day, and that was a strange day, and that was off of an outline, but. I you know everybody's brain is different, obviously, but it, it, is that what you you actually were averaging is eight thousand a day, and that that's, well, cr- when, that's I, when I was when I was starting out, um, I was still uh, working on my process, so I was probably around five six thousand words a day. But I didn't have anything else to do. I didn't have another job. I didn't have any money to go do anything. So really, literally, all I could do was sit around and write and plan and, and come up with and research a lot of it was a lot of my time is spent researching mm. and especially when I was starting I had to research the entire self-publishing economy and see well how does this work mm. um, these days with all of the projects I have I would consider 4,000 words a day to be a good rate mm. um, it's a good and rate. that's it is a good rate and if you can manage 4,000 words a day you can still manage you know five-day work week uh, 20,000 words a week and if you can do 20,000 words a week, you can do 80,000 words a month. Which uh, is novel length. Which is novel length, yeah. Spend, uh, I mean, that's, that's which, which my... Which is NaNoWriMo. That <laughs> is NaNoWriMo, yeah. <laughs> that's, I, I would advocate writing, you know, 80,000 words in a month and then letting it sit and rest for a month, make mm. work on something else. And Stephen then, King method. Yeah, exactly. Very useful. I, I recommend Very on writing to on, everybody who's serious. On writing is a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll I'll recommend some other elements of style. The, the, the other yeah elements of style. Yeah. Uh, scene and scene and structure by uh, Jack Bickham is a good one too. I have that in my my wish list. I've I've heard of really good things about it. It's that. good. It's it's really helpful with uh, again if you write structurally, it tells you 
you know, what works in a given scene on, on the scene level. So it's, 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 it's very good. Anyway, like I was saying, um, yeah. Um, oh man, what were we talking about? I got off. You we were talking about, tangents, I, 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 <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, there's so much to talk about. We, we go off on these tangents. We were talking about, you know, how we want to set up a series. How, what, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, advice. That? Right. Right. Advice. Um, if you, if you want to do a serial, uh, at least one 15,000 word chapter every three or four weeks. And that's easily manageable, even if you're working another job, if that's what you want to be doing. Yep. Um, I would also say have most of it written before you start to release it, just so you can yeah, be I would, consistent. I would definitely recommend that. Um, not not even having done it, I, would, I wouldn't feel comfortable going into doing something like that if I didn't have right, some padding. Right. Um, if you're not doing a serial and if you want to do a series, and I think it may be, I, I don't know, depending on your genre, it, it would be more effective to work on series instead. Um, I would say write and release as quickly as you can, you know, given whatever your situation are and write mm-hmm. in series. Standalone books don't do as well. Uh, that's just the mm-hmm. market. It's true. And if you want, and if you want to be making any kind of living at this, you have to keep those considerations in mind. I mean, yeah, you're an, you're an artist, but artists have always been commercial. You know, they're like Michelangelo didn't paint the Sistine Chapel ceiling because he really liked to paint ceilings. He was paid by the church. Yeah. You know, yeah. it turned out pretty good. All, yeah, it did turn it turned, <laughs> did turn out pretty good. But you have to, yeah. There there have always been commercial. It's um, true considerations in art and i think the most important thing you can do as a writer is to cultivate that that professional mindset mm-hmm. you know you're not just a writer you're also a publisher you're also and even if you don't go the self-published route you are still managing your own business as an author you're it's, an entrepreneur really. you're an entrepreneur exactly you got to think I'll, of yourself as a business a one-man business or a one-woman exactly. business but you are a business you are and you know that's how uh the the government will view it when you have to do your taxes mm-hmm. at the end of the year, and oh man, taxes for self-employed people. Ah, <laughs> oh, don't get me started. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that's the biggest. Uh, at least we that, can write off some things. Yeah, you can. That you, you couldn't can. necessarily do. But um, uh, every, I, save save your receipts when you go to Starbucks and bring your laptop. That's oh yeah, what, write that off. I save all my receipts. Uh, <laughs> it's terrible. I've got like it's, a. It's a well, you know, it's better than not saving them. It's yeah. true. <laughs> I, I'm, I haven't always been great at that, and it's it's just like such a pain, especially when you are self-employed, um, because there are so many other considerations that you know you can't just do the normal. Well, these are my tax returns. You, there's you have to really itemize everything. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, write series. Um, and and write uh, as as much as you can as quickly as you can. Uh, you don't have to be like do do what I'm doing and write four thousand words a day. Um, but You're pretty hardcore, man. It, it's <sighs> it's admirable. But then my next I'm, question would be, you know, if you want to put out something that's of really really high quality, how much time do you give yourself to edit? Because I feel like that's something that I struggle with personally. Is I always yeah. want it to be. I want you know, <laughs> you want it to be the next like Great Gatsby or something, which it's not going to be. But you want it to be as polished, and you know I, I don't want a single single page to be like a dead spot. You know you, you want right. it to be absolutely as good as possible. And when when you're when you do have a quick release cycle, what is the balance that you try to achieve with that? Because I I feel like you know it, it, there's a temptation to err on the side of waiting too long. Well, and what is an acceptable break between let's say eighty thousand word books? 
I mean, obviously, you know, do you want to shoot for one a year? Is that super important? I mean, obviously, it'd be better. Uh, well, basically, um, you want to put out work. It doesn't have to be perfect. In, in fact, uh, there's a Voltaire quote that I like. Uh, the perfect is the enemy of the good. I'm familiar with that, yeah. It's, it's, it's a great quote. Uh, because you will never be perfect. Nothing you ever do will be perfect, and that's okay. You have to get acceptance with that. You have to strive for good enough. And I don't mean like just barely good enough. I mean good enough to be worth the time of your readers. You know, really yeah. focus on, on doing what's best for your, your, your followers, your, your fans. Uh, I mean, and that's just my perspective maybe, but it's, it's all about the fans for me. I want to build an, a bigger readership so I can have more fans. And I want to do right by them. So I'm I, right there with you, man. You know, I just just do enough so that their time is not wasted, mm-hmm. and that if somebody new comes to this book, they'll read it and say, "Hey, this is a good book. This author knows what he's doing, and they'll want to be your fan." The purpose of the book is to convert a reader into a fan. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it's about converting a reader into fan, to a fan and making them excited about work that's coming up. Right. And I think I think the challenge, at least for me, is it's not about making it perfect because I know it's I'm not interested in trying to attain something that's unattainable, but to me it's like the good versus the great, right? And I guess I'm curious what what is your editing process like? How many beta readers do you usually send it out to? Um, what's that like for you? I'm, I'm always curious about people's revision process. All right, revision. Um, when I finish, I put it aside for a month. Again, Stephen King, he told me to, and I listened to Stephen King because he's a very successful guy. And it works. Um, he, he does, yeah, yeah. I, I put it aside for a month and I work on something else. I let my brain refresh itself. So when I come back, it's, it's like, you know, I can read it with a, with a, out as much. Um, I'm not in the same mindset. Of, I'm not in the writer mindset anymore, at least not for that particular piece. I'm in the editor mindset. So I, uh, I read through it again, uh, you know, as a reader, um, and I evaluate uh, each scene to see whether it belongs. Does this, is this scene good enough? Does it uh, advance the plot? Does it provide characterization? Is there conflict? Mm-hmm. If, it's not, if it's not good and I can get away with cutting it, I cut it. Any scene that is not important enough to stay, any scene that can be removed and not missed, is superfluous and you have to get rid of it. It's hard because you spent a lot of time writing those scenes. It's, uh, it's arguably the hardest thing. <laughs> I I cut a third of the scenes in my last book. They were. It's not that they were poorly written. It's just that I didn't absolutely need them. Mm. So I cut them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically the first pass is just getting rid of whatever you need to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Um, the second pass is more of a line edit you know i'll, I'll read it aloud I'll, I'll add details because a lot of the times when i'm writing the first draft if i need to research something i will just add a placeholder and move on because i don't want to break up my flow you know yep yep, yep. um so the second this time i'll be going through and i'm like well i didn't cut this scene it's important enough to stay now i have to research this so i can describe this accurately um and that'll that'll uh you know, take up uh, some time, but not too much, hopefully. Um, and I make sure that it all, you know, works together. Um, after that, uh, after it's, you know, 
polished to a degree where it's uncomfortable showing it to someone else. Right. I'll give it to my uh, my first reader, mm-hmm. um, and she'll read it and she'll take notes, and she'll get those back to me. Is that and your I'll, significant other, if I may? Yes, yes, it is. Nice. And uh, I'm I'm very lucky in that she is, uh, you know, willing to to read what I what I give to her. Um, she's also uh, the the template for my ideal reader, so I know that if she likes it. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, you have you have, you have an ideal reader, the person that you, you write for, like that that demographic whatever template, and uh, she uh, fits that. So if she likes it, I know that the people that I write for will like it, and it that's that's been working out. Anyway, after she's done, I'll make the edits that she has recommended. Well, I'll evaluate them. You know, I don't always agree with her. Um, right. And you know, that's important to keep that autonomy, even if you're working with a professional editor. And sometimes I do. Sometimes if I have the money, I'll send it off to, uh, I know a bunch of freelance editors and I'll send it off to them and they'll yeah. uh, give me the friend discount so I'm not breaking my bank. Um, That's nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, if the edits are warranted, then they're made. Um, and after that, I'll send it off to beta readers. And the way I do this is that I, uh, I put out a call on my mailing list. Mm-hmm. And I have a, uh, a first reader program on my, my uh, mailing list, a street team kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I call them the Galvanic Centurions. Nice. Uh, Play yeah. off of your series. Yep, Galvanic Century. Um, <laughs> and basically what they do is uh, they earn points for helping me out. And if they earn X number of points, they get a free book. I'll send them a paperback. Nice. Yeah, right? Nice. Um, That's a nice and, yeah, Galvanic yeah. So, points. And you earn uh, a certain number of points for uh, if, if you're one of the beta readers on the book. Now, if I send you a, an advanced copy of the book and you read it but don't get back to me, well, then I know I'm not going to send you another book because you can't do the, do the job. You this know? is good. Did, do you come up with this? So did, 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 was this system influenced by anyone else or was this, is this mostly your creation? It's, well, the, the idea of having people to reach out to is something that Indies have been doing for a while, but the actual mechanics of it and sort of adding points and making it more of a game is something that I sort of developed to myself. I really it's, like uh, that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's um, another author, C.C. Uh, Wall, uh, mm-hmm. has, has taken the same idea, and I, I, we talked about it, and he's developed it further, and then I stole some of his innovations back from him. So it's sort of growing, you know, that way uh, between the two of us. But yeah, um, you you review, you read the book, give me your thoughts, and when it's done, I'll send you a, a complete copy of, of the book, um, and you'll get points towards uh, a paperback. Um, and then when that's done, you know, I do the final pass, and then I announce it to my uh, my mailing list, and I'm like, all right, well, the here's the book. If you write a review, it doesn't have to be a good review, it doesn't have to be a bad review, on the first day of its launch, you'll get X number of points for for it. Because that's the incentive right there is that yep. you know, if you if you write reviews and or if you, you know, spread the word, you get points. And it's not that's I'm not good. Yeah, I'm not I'm not like giving you away free stuff for, for doing reviews or anything like that. It's it's not like give me a good review and I'll give you a book. It's just Write an honest review, and you'll you'll go up levels. And when you get to certain levels, you get you know books as means of thanks. So, how many points to a paperback? Is that one of the biggest rewards? Let me uh, look that up really quick. This is one of the spreadsheets. Yeah, it's uh, actually <laughs> I have a um, I have a spreadsheet where I where I 
keep track of how many points everyone has. Um, but there's uh, and actually at the, the page on my website, uh, mcorlam.com slash galvanic dash centurions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, where I, I talk about the page. All right. I give. Um, we can definitely put that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, for people interested because uh, I, th- I, think, right. I think they should definitely check it out. These are the, the ranks. Uh, if you have one to 99 points, your ranking is gentle reader. Uh, at 100 points, you become a stalwart companion. <laughs> at at uh, 200, you're a clockwork automaton. Oh, that's good. 300 is Cogsman. 400 is Centurion. 500 is Galvanic Resurrection. 600 is Gentle Person of Renown. 700 is Agent of the Home Office. 800 is Victoria's Secret Police. Uh, 900 is Galvanic Centurion and 1,000 or more and you're possibly a wizard of some sort and for each level that's, uh, fun. that's really fun for, <laughs> for each level beyond the first uh, which is basically every 100 points you get a free paperback of your choice um, oh. and, and then if you are at the Galvanic Resurrection level which is 500 or above they will be signed and may include other bonuses such as bookmarks or personal notes and the only real reason for that distinction is because to give someone a signed paperback, I have to order it, have it shipped to myself, sign it, and then ship it to them. Yeah. And that that can get a little pricey, honestly. It's time. Like inter- international shipping, oh my god, like twenty five dollars <laughs> to ship a book. Yep. Wow. But yeah, you know, um and that's that's basically how it works. It's been working pretty well. Um people like the program and they're invested in it. And really it's not so much about reviews or or getting assistance it's about that people feel invested in the work you know if they had something to do with it if they were the beta reader then they feel a sense of ownership about it you know by by rewarding that you mean well just the 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 reward is uh an incentive to get involved but the real reward i i think is not so much the books they get but the feeling of participation and ownership you know, it's like I did this. I was part of the creation of this book, um, and that's been very, uh, very. Uh, people have responded well to that, and really, you know, that's like like the cycle of of book selling is is basically like you know you have a good cover and you have a good blurb, and that gets someone who is a reader to read the book, right? Yeah. And then the the quality of the book itself, how well they are satisfied by what you promise and then deliver on that promise in the book turns them from a reader into a fan, mm-hmm. right? And that's really what you want to do is is you want to build that sense of investment with them so that they become your fans because a fan, you know, it, it's more important to, to turn readers into fans than it is to sell books because readers will buy, just from a, a marketing perspective, readers will buy everything you, you fans will buy everything you write, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, that's the business model right there is you want to turn strangers into readers and then turn them into fans do you mind if i um rip off your system i'll go right ahead man. Okay. i mean yeah just just just, just making sure <laughs> no I, I you think know the point it, system is brilliant i don't have uh, any author secrets here you know i mm-hmm. I, I feel like the, the field of publishing becomes stronger when we share this kind of strategy and tips and tactics and everything so I am all about helping uh, other authors out whenever possible. Well, 
No, I, I feel I feel exactly the same way. I feel like there aren't a lot of people who are well. First of all, like one person businesses that are actually providing to to the people who care about what they make. And independent authors, I think, can only learn from each other and help each other out. And we're still in the minority of yeah. people in the author sphere. And it's such an amazing thing to be an independent author because you it's just you and your fans and there's no intermediary. It doesn't have to be right. So you're able to respond and be very personal and, and it can just be, they can have a much better relationship with you and you're able to be much more nimble. I find as well. Like if someone finds a problem, (laughs) yeah, you're able to like, Oh wow. There's, um, a terrible, 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 terrible typo that needs to happen, well, and you can have that turnaround. You know, in yeah, we're uh, we're adaptable. We we move fast, and we we answer to no one basically. So we we don't need it to work with anyone else to make these changes or to fix any problems that come up. And I think those are those are our big advantages as indies. Well, I'm I'm excited to 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 play around with that point system now. Yeah, work work <laughs> it out. See see what you can make out of it, man. I will. I will. It's 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 uh it's a really smart thing to do. <laughs> so, are you still working with primarily shorter works, or are you this this project you're working on now is this going to be in, is how long is this going to be? I've been writing novel length work lately, um, and that's uh, what I'll continue to do. I'm, I'm I am writing short fiction, and I'm actually um, this year I'm trying to write more short fiction, but I'm not uh, self publishing it. Um, I'm submitting short fiction to different, you know, paying markets. Um, I've, I've got three short fiction market. Uh, I'm sorry, I've got three short stories going around through the different sci-fi fantasy magazines right now. Um, and after they've been published uh, and the rights revert, I will either uh, give them away free to the readers of my mailing list, or I will publish them together into an anthology and put that on mm-hmm. Amazon. So you would say that do sci-fi magazines or different you know circulations? You say that's still a a worthwhile avenue to pursue. Things like I that. I don't. Yeah, I, I think it's um, it's it's worth doing just to get an outside perspective on what you're doing. I don't know yeah. if it would be viable to try to support yourself entirely through short fiction at the moment with the way the market currently is. Yeah. But there are uh, markets that pay. Uh, 10 cents a word, 25 cents a word. So if mm. you can write salable fiction at a consistent pace, you could uh, bring yourself that extra, you know, 500 a month or whatever. Mm. Pretty, pretty easy. Um, and, and it's, um, it's a way to uh, keep myself agile if I'm working on, you know, smaller projects in between the books. Mm. Do you, um, how long is your editing process? We, we talked about, those different stages. Um, what is what do you shoot for for that to take? I mean, obviously it takes. I've noticed that for a longer work, beta readers will take you know a month or longer. Sometimes. Yeah, that's that's the thing is that you know however fast I work, the beta readers are the limiting factor. Yep. You know, however fast they get through it, and I I try to give them long enough to read the book and to give me their notes. Mm-hmm. And do you, um, do you, do you entice them to give line edits as well? Because I've given people the option with that for my second book now that some people actually wanted the, a word document of it to actually 
provide line edits and do you do anything? Yeah, if they want, if they if they want to, I'll, I'll I have no problem letting them. And in fact, I give um, I do give um, the option of what kind of uh, file they want. I mean, if they give me just their general opinion and some notes, that's great. But if they want to go for the line edit, hey, I'm not going to stop you. Mm-hmm. Go right ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it's 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 works out. I actually get some. Uh, marked up uh, pages back in return sometimes. How much do you end up rewriting? Because this is something I've even gone so far as to to write about this topic in general, uh, in specific, which is like how much how much do you find yourself rewriting entire, do you ever just like decide to rewrite an entire chapter? Like uh, I need to, this isn't, I, this thing still has to happen, but I don't like the way that I executed on it. Because I've heard both sides of that and, I, and I've, I've never been a person to do that. Really, I'll go in and I'll fix paragraphs here and there, but I'll never. I'm I'm curious to hear what your what your. Well, I don't are. I don't uh, rewrite from scratch, really. Um, I'll fix what needs to be fixed, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes that does mean an entire scene written from someone else's perspective. Yep. Um, but other than that, um, I don't. I, I, I revise. I don't. I don't really rewrite. Um, and you know, uh, maybe that would be different if I wrote by the seat of my pants and didn't have a, an extensive outline. But any problems that I have aren't based on structure; they're based on you know awkward wording that needs to be you know fixed. Basically, I think, that, I think that's a really good point. The people yeah. that tend to have to rewrite entire chunks probably were going by the seat of their pants, or more likely to have been. Well, I used to write that way. Uh, I wrote that way for a while, but. It's basically the same process that I I do now as a planner, except I end up rewriting. You know, and it takes a lot longer. It's yeah. just, it, the same things get done. I still, but it's it's um, if I if I, and then you know another thing to consider is that uh, the the way the brain works, it doesn't switch tracks very efficiently, right? Mm-hmm. So if I do all of my planning at once. I can switch tracks just writing mode and, and it'll be quick and smooth and efficient. But if I'm trying to plan and figure out what happens next while I'm writing, then I'm constantly having to make that mental adjustment and it slows me down. And, and you know, when I'm writing, I find that it takes me, you know, half an hour maybe to get into the groove where I can mm-hmm. write smoothly. And, mm-hmm. and I, I hate having to break that stride. It's, it's terrible. So no. now, yeah. That's a really good point because when you're – you think that's because of the brain frequencies you're going into like when you really get deep in yeah you're following no you're I, in you're I, in I'm, alpha waves like you're, yeah i am in coasting. a creative trance you know i am in a creative trance mm-hmm. and uh you know another thing that is not perhaps not quite so good is that um the, the brain rewards me for being in that trance i get the, the <laughs> dopamine i get the serotonin and when it when i have to stop writing uh for whatever reason you know like to eat or sleep I yeah. go through withdrawal and I'm just very, very crabby about it. <laughs> it's it's terrible. I mean, my my uh, I I would hate to live with me because it's just <laughs> you know all all I want to do yeah. is stay in in that in that zone in that yeah. in that mental state in that uh, uh, creative uh, quietude. Well, it almost feels like I don't know about you, but it almost feels like exploration too. Like you're feeling you feel like you're you know you know where it's gonna go, but it doesn't entirely follow the outline, does it? Well, yeah. You know, you, you, I don't. I'm not rigidly adhering to the outlines, 
Uh, well, if I, I wasn't saying them. that, but like, does it feel like you're sort of exploring? Like, it, how you know you can kind of go around and you know you kind of you're allowed some degree of freedom, which is also really exciting within right. that boundary. No, yeah, yeah, definitely. And if I find some other, you know, I'll, I'm constantly coming up with new ideas because again, the the brain is always working on it. So if I come up with uh, a tangent, I'll go with it. I mean, I may have to cut it later when I'm revising, but. It's it's never a waste of time to write it out, you know, because when you cut it, you don't throw that away. You, you save it, and then maybe you'll use it in something else. Mm-hmm. Use every part of the buffalo. Yeah, it's exactly true. That's that's what we do. How long did it take you? I'm curious before you were able to do this full time. Like how how many months of of focusing on this before you felt like you had a hit that, or yeah, before well, you felt I, like you were going to be able to do this. I was full time right off the bat because I had nothing else to do. You know, I was I, I had no right. free time. I had nothing but time. You know. Maybe I should so, rephrase that. How long was it before you could, uh, you know, make a living off of off of doing that? Um, I don't have the figures in front of me exactly, but I would say that uh, the first month I made ten dollars. It's pretty uh, good I, for a first month. Well, yeah, exactly. I, I thought so. And it, it, all I had was um, that was about what I made. And, <laughs> yeah, um, I released and they called her spider, um, and it made me ten dollars. I think was that your first f- short work that you ever put up? I don't remember the exact order. The, the first three were um, "Oh Human Child," which is uh, about a young boy who tries to rescue his brother who is kidnapped by fairies. It's sort of a, a, a YA urban fantasy kind of mm-hmm. short story. Um, there's, um, but in succession you had like three out. Yeah, I, I well, I was just writing like that, yeah. like rapid succession. And these were these were what like five thousand dish words, like once a uh, month. Five to ten. Okay. Um, I, I think I don't remember. I think Spider was twelve. I don't remember exactly, but. Um, the idea at the time was uh, I wanted to kind of ease my way into it, see what 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 would work. I didn't. I mean, I didn't know anything to start off with. I yeah. all I found were like articles on self-publishing that had been written two years earlier, and by yeah. then it had already you know it had already changed. Yep. By the time I got into it, ninety-nine cents was no longer the best thing in the world to do. No. You know, it's it was already starting to be uh, you know less less effective. But I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, and no, this but, would have uh, been what mid twenty eleven, late twenty eleven. Uh, like late twenty eleven, I think December twenty eleven is okay. was the first uh, month. Um, and then in early twenty twelve, I think it was four or five months, and I was making a couple hundred dollars uh, a month. Nice. Was um, the majority of that from and they called her spider, or was it more diversified? It was it was diversified because I I was doing nothing but writing and I was coming up with new pen names. Wow. I think I had like ten pen names. <laughs> you know, you were really you were. It sounds like you were hell bent for the last. Yeah, of well, a you know, term. I. It's fantastic. It, it was um. You got it. Was be, great. Man. It was great to be writing again. Yeah. And it was the first time I'd had like income in a while. Yeah. You know, and that's that's a good feeling. It it feels like a little bit of re- recapturing your uh, agency. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Your and economy. then by the, yeah, by, by the end of the month, I was, uh, or by the end of the year, by the end of 2012, I was making uh, four figures a month. Wow. So how much do you think you released in 2012? 
How many different short stories? Uh, a lot. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll add them up, but there there were a lot. Dozens? Over uh, over 40? Dozens. Yeah. Probably over 40, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. No wonder your Amazon page has so much going on. I mean, that's that's why I, I don't do the reviews anymore. It's because I don't have any time, you know? Yeah. I love doing it, and that was one of my ways of giving back to the indie community was, was with um, – book nouveau but uh i just don't have the time to great review site and not yeah. just because you reviewed the truth in the sky <laughs> which was a great book one of one of the the best books sent to me oh god um, no i'm serious you know i don't the, believe the, you. The, uh, well the quality of of books that i got was was pretty wide yeah uh, but yours yours was up there at the top it was a great book and everybody should go out and buy your book they should buy multiple copies <laughs> stop they should be buying your books. You've got more stuff than I do right now. Um, um, they should listen to, uh, and they call her Spider, because i got a feeling this is, I, I, I love the book, and i got a feeling it's an even better audio book, because this, this guy sounds as good as you say he does. It is. It, it is great, and it's actually really cheap. Um, I, don't, you I noticed set that. It's like four bucks. Yeah, you, 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 can't, uh, you cannot set the price of your books through Audible. No. Uh, they, they, they control it entirely. They control the so horizontal they, and the vertical. Yeah, they've decided to sell this for uh, for four dollars and it's it's worth four bucks. It's a good it's a great uh, um yeah. It's based um, on length though, right? Like it's fifty six minutes. It's based on length, but I've also seen them change prices based on how well they're selling. Or at least they used to. I don't know if that's how they still do it. But it's um, yeah. It makes me wonder, and if, if it, I don't know if you can say on the top of your head, and I don't know if you want to share how much data you want to share, but what what percentage would you say of your monthly income comes from audiobooks? Has that been has that you know has that been something that obviously the deal isn't as good as it used to be? You know, it, it's not like it's not a lot, but it would be unfortunate to lose it. Yeah. You know, it's it's. I, I wouldn't say it's pocket change, but it'll buy you a couple of cups of coffee throughout the the month. Okay. You know, I, it, it's a it's a good dinner. Uh, let's say that it's okay. a dinner for two. Audiobooks gets me dinner for two once a, once a month. That's 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 yeah. That's better than zero. I always say every little bit mm-hmm. helps, and it's also a way to reach people. I mean, have you ever done any um, surveys where you're like, did you find me through an audiobook or through an ebook through a paperback? That would be interesting data to know. Yeah, I've actually um, I have a survey. Uh, that goes out to my mailing list after they've been on it for a few months. Uh, yeah, a few months. Um, it's an autoresponder kind of thing. It's just like, hey, you know, I'm wondering about who my readers are, and you know, it asks them a few uh, demographic questions uh, and how they found me, uh, that kind of thing. So it's it's. Um, is that it, through Mailchimp? Yeah, through Mailchimp. Mailchimp is great if you if you want to have a mailing list, and you should have a mailing list. Mailing list you is. Should. It's the yeah. It's anybody it's the who's best, creative should have a mailing list. Uh, it's it's the best marketing that you can do first of all, and it's marketing that you control. You it's mm-hmm. the only real efficient way to get in touch with all of your readers at once. I mean, if you have a Facebook page, they're not going to even see all of your Facebook posts. Mm-hmm. If you have a Twitter, if they happen to be on when you tweet something, they'll see it. But if you want to be able to get in contact with people, mailing lists are the way to do it. Very personal. No, ma- Mailchimp is so so powerful. Oh, it's great. I actually um, I might I have make the, it. Oh, go ahead. I have the paid Mailchimp now. Really? Because it's yeah, it's worth it. And aren't um, they? They're free to up to two thousand subscribers, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, they are. I have the paid not because I have two thousand subscribers, but because um, I have uh, 
uh, it gives me better control over my autoresponder sequence. Right. It's super powerful. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk too much about MailChimp because if they if they want us to talk about them a lot, I would love to do an ad spot for them because they are an awesome company and they've sponsored a lot of shows that I really love, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't talk about, you don't want to give them too much free advertising, but they're, they are awesome. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a great time to be an independent creative human being. Yeah, so many, so many paths to get your work out there now that weren't really there, even as, as much as five years ago. You know, the world yeah. has changed so much so quickly that entrepreneurship, you know, and with the economy being the way it is, it's not just possible. In some cases, it's necessary yeah. to, to be able to seize back uh, control of your own financial destiny that way. All right. Um, just just quickly, these are the uh, the podcasts that I've been following re- related to to writing. Just to you know. Oh, hey, know. you know what? Why don't we just put that in the show notes? Then All right, we'll, cool. we'll we'll save time. But yeah, we, I want to get your picks, and we'll link to those. And I guess I have two final questions. All right, um, let's go. Is uh, first of all, uh, what is your goal in terms of releasing a, a let's say a novel length work do you i mean i've seen people who try to do two a year that blows my mind maybe because i am a little bit of a perfectionist um but do you try to do i've i've kind of fallen into every other year which i intend to increase and i'm also going to be doing shorter things which will help get more things um, out there. But what is what is your release schedule? What is your ideal release schedule and what is the reality? All right, my ideal release schedule is as often as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, in an ideal world, it would take me a month to write the, the draft, right? That's 80,000 words, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, with the math works if I can stay on task and don't have anything else coming up and, and everything else. Um, a month to let it sit and gestate for a while you know right. um maybe a month to revise it so three months ideally if i could do it in three months i would do it in three months but you know that's not always how it works uh, but, but what about beta readers uh well yeah then you give them a month to to read it so mm. let's say four months mm. so if i if i could do you know three four releases a year that would be great um but the thing is it, it doesn't always work that way. But on the other hand, while you're letting the books sit and rest for a month, you can be writing another book. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So I, I actually have a spreadsheet <laughs> where I worked out the pattern, the optimal pattern to uh, to release books uh, in an ideal world. Uh, and if, I figured that Care if sure? I... Uh, well, it, it's basically just staggered so that like it's like, you know, while I'm revising one book... Okay. Uh, here's I, I don't have it in front of me and I'm not going to open it up but basically uh, month one you write a book right right month two you write a different book while the first book is is cooking Just so dating, to speak. Yeah. yeah month three you're revising the first book uh, right m- month four you give the first book for the beta readers while you revise the second book month five you're revising the second book and you're publishing the first book so yeah, ideally, like if if every if the stars aligned and I had nothing going wrong and yeah. and I was on task perfectly all the time, I would love to be able to put out a book seasonally. Yeah, uh, probably not how it's going to work out. Like yeah. I, uh, the book that I'm working on now, I'll probably have out in June. Okay. 
Um, if only we uh, were all like Lieutenant Commander Data. Yeah, exactly. Didn't have if to sleep. Could, be, could listen to two uh, symphonies at the exact same time. If I could give up sleep, uh, <laughs> re- reclaim those eight hours a day, man, yeah. I would get so much done. Oh, man. And the thing is, this career, entrepreneurship, has turned me into a workaholic, basically. I mean, I say, yeah, 40 hours a week, but really I work like 60 to 80. Um, just writing and editing and doing everything else that it takes. And, uh, you know, and, and that's fine. This is I'm doing what I want to be doing with yeah, my life. Yeah, it sounds like you I, do it in your love, man. Uh, that's it, exactly. Uh, what was your, your second question? Well, I think the second question would be, where can people find you? All right. Well, I'm, uh, I've got my author page uh, at mcorlim.com. That's M-C-O-O-R-L-I-M.com. Um, I'm on uh, Facebook. Uh, I'm on uh, Twitter at mcorlim. Um, I've got uh, the, the That Which Is Known podcast, which you can uh, just go to thatwhichisknown.com, um, which really is just a redirect to my, my website. Um, and I'll be, I have got uh, the production company, uh, Burning Bridged Media, which you can find at burningbridged.com. Um, and finally, uh, I will have the, uh, the Synesthesia Theater uh, up and running in a month or two. Uh, if you want to know about that, just sign up for the Burning Bridged mailing list and you'll get a shout out when it's, uh, when it's ready to go. Wow. And then we'll obviously put all of those in the show notes. Right. Which can be found at myth.li. And this is just M-Y-T-H dot L-I, which is the home of this show, which is still still formulating into what it's going hey, it's, to, to be. I really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed the show, and I'm going to add that to my podcast uh, rotation. Thank you very much for, uh, for having me on. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been so much fun, Mike. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your time and sharing your advice with, with the listeners. I think they're no gonna, problem. I think they're going to get a lot out of it. Let's, let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> they will. Okay. Take care, man.